So at First Collarville, over the last couple of weeks, we have been in the book of Esther. And so uh, you can follow up all on the screen, or there's a Bible in the chair in front of you if you want to uh, pull that out and follow along. And as we've been looking at the book of Esther, we have been noting that uh, God is showing up in all kinds of strange places, in all kinds of strange ways, but he is there, present. So in chapter 1, we see that God is showing up in a Persian court far away from Jerusalem, far away from the home of the Israelites, far away from the home of God's people. In chapter 2, we see that God shows up in an abusive, sexualized beauty pageant where the king is looking for a queen. And God shows up in that. In chapter 3, we see that God shows up in a threat of death. And this morning, we are going to see that God shows up in insomnia. God shows up when we cannot sleep. We're going to reflect on why it's so important that this verse this morning, chapter 6, verse 1, is the crux of the book. It's the centerpiece and why it matters so much for how we not only understand the book of Esther, but also how we understand God and ourselves as his people. So let's pray. Lord God, our desire is to stand on your word, but in order to do that, we need the presence uh, and movement of your Holy Spirit. And so we would ask that your spirit would fall afresh in this place at this time, so that in the preaching and in the hearing and the applying of your word, you may be praised and your people may be built up. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to read uh, two sections this morning, uh, chapter 2, verses 21 through 23, and then chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot, And told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. When the king, or when the port was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. And all of this was recorded in the book of the annals in the presence of the king. We're going to skip ahead to chapter 6, verse 1. That night the king could not sleep. And so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. And it was found, recorded there, that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this, the king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. The king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. This is the word of the Lord. So the book of Esther is a chiasm. It's a chiasmus. It's a 
bookend. And for every action in Esther, there is an opposite action. So at the very beginning of the book, we find that there are uh, there's two banquets that start the book. There's a banquet for the whole empire, and then there's a banquet for the city of Susa, where the book of Esther takes place. And at the end of the book, in chapter 10, there are two, 9 and 10, there are two banquets, the banquets of Mordecai. And every time we are wondering about something in the book of Esther, we watch as there is an equal action that reciprocates not only the big events like Esther's banquet after she becomes queen and then the banquet at the end of the book. We read about how Mordecai contributes to saving the king's life and then the destruction of those who try to kill the Jews. We have Esther helping to, agreeing to help the Jews And we have the Jews being saved. And there's all kinds of things. There's even small details. There's a spot in the book where the king gives Haman, the bad henchman, a ring. And later we watch as the king gives that same ring to Mordecai. In other words, there's what the author is doing is that as he is writing this book, you can see that everything is hanging in the balance, right? And if you knock it over just a little bit, gets messed up. And I'll see if I can even get this set up again. There we go. But everything is hinging on one event. And that event is in verse 1 of chapter 6. If you haven't been reading along with us in the book of Esther, what's happened is that there's a, an, an enemy of the Jews who has conspired to kill not just Mordecai, because Mordecai refuses to bow down, but has conspired to kill every Jew all over the world. And as Christians, we know the importance of the Jews because from God's people, the Jews, comes Jesus, okay, so we're awake and we're following along, right? And so we need the salvation of the Jews in order for Jesus to be born. And Haman is this wrathful individual who has conspired to kill them all. And the king, though Haman has done nothing, has given him the power to do this. And in chapter 5, Haman is invited to a banquet with just the king and the queen. It's as if Haman has gotten all of the eggs in his basket. He's had his best friends build a hangman court so that Mordecai can be impaled. He, everything up until the end of chapter 5, looks horribly wrong for Esther for Mordecai, and for the Jews. And in the passage we read this morning in chapter 6, verse 4, we watch as Haman is entering into the king's throne room and he's ready to say, let me kill Mordecai on this gallows. That's what he wants to say. But something happens in between. And it is the most odd thing of all. Because 
None of us here imagine that a whole lot can happen in a sleepless night. I dare bet all of us have had that experience. We go to bed at 11 o'clock, some of us later. We won't call out those of you who are earlier. But we go to bed. We look at the clock and we think, okay, there's that thing in our mind. We do the math. If I go to bed now, and I get up at 6.30, I get seven and a half hours of sleep. Okay, let's go to sleep. And what inevitably happens? Can't sleep. And so maybe we have an alarm clock. Chances are that's an old piece of technology. But we grab our phone and we look at our phone. And we look at our phone and it says 11.30. Oh, my goodness. 11.30, that means seven hours of sleep. We flip it over. Okay, we try to roll over. Maybe we get up. We go get a, a melatonin from the, the cabinet. We go back to sleep. Get a drink of water. Lay down for a while. Can't sleep. Toss, turn. Pick up the phone. Look at the phone. Oh, it's 12.30. Oh, my goodness. This is terrible. I have to fall asleep. And on and on it goes. We turn the TV on. We turn the radio on. We turn music on. We, turn, we try our very best. And what we are imagining as all of this is unfolding is that the action in the morning is where God is going to do his most important work. Because after all, it's when we're going to be awake. And God does his best work when we're awake, right? No. Just step back with me in chapter 6. We're told that the king can't sleep. But the implication is that Esther is sleeping just fine. And Mordecai is sleeping just fine. The Jews all over the nation are sleeping just fine. God needs but one person to be wide awake. And that is exactly who cannot sleep. It just so happens in chapter 6, verse 1, that the king cannot sleep. And so he orders the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, he can't pull out his smartphone. He can't put on Netflix. He can't turn on the radio. The only thing he's got is a scroll. And of course, if you're the king of Persia and you think you're a big deal, you're going to have your servant go to get something that tells how amazing you are, right? If you can't sleep, you might as well hear about how great you are, right? We do that now. We pull up our phone and we watch our highlights, Come on, I know we all do this. Let's, right? We all do that. And so the, the servant brings in, and, and commentators try to explain this away. They say, well, maybe the king is interested in, because he's meeting with Esther, and he knows that Esther is Mordecai's cousin, and so he wants to learn about this event. No, the king has completely forgotten about this. The text has made that very clear. And the only reason that we hear anything more about Mordecai is because the king has insomnia, and God just happens to have the servant flip through the book and find the spot where Mordecai saves the king's life. It's hanging on a thread, the history of God's people. 
And because the king cannot sleep, he hears the story again about how Mordecai saves his life. And at the moment when the king is ready to celebrate this, this savior, this king's savior, the villain walks in. There are two important things that we want to reflect on. The first is that as an audience, as readers, we're given a choice. The first choice is that we can believe that this is all a coincidence. It's a coincidence that after the king has had a banquet with Esther and Haman, where he's probably had a lot to drink, he can't sleep. And it just so happens that the book the servant brings is the chronicles from four years ago and not three years ago or six years ago or two years ago. And the place in the book where the servant opens just happens to be coincidentally the spot where Mordecai is named. And it just so happens coincidentally that the moment the king goes into the throne room and is ready to make a proclamation, the bad guy Haman walks in. It's just a coincidence. That's really option number one. We can imagine that all of the events that unfold in our lives, from the book we pull off the shelf, to the car ride getting stopped, to the moments when we cannot sleep, to the day when someone calls, that it's all just a coincidence. And the reality is to believe that is an act of faith. To believe that there is no order to the world, that there is no plan, that it's just sort of straws falling off the shelf on the floor. Things are just happening. And Esther provides us with that very possibility because it doesn't say that night the king could not sleep because God interrupted his dream. And the other possibility that you and I are presented is that behind all of these events, behind all of these things that hang in the balance, is not a puppet master, but a God who has everything in his hands. And your sleepless night... It's not a coincidence. The other significant part to these verses is what it, what it does for us as followers of Jesus Christ when it comes to faith. Because I think most of us, when we think about the book of Esther, we think about that verse in chapter 4. Right, chapter 4, verse 13, if you have your Bible open, you can find it. And, and you've probably heard this, you know, maybe said to you, a Bible teacher or a pastor has said, the whole point of the, ver the, chapter, or the book of Esther is, is when Mordecai says to Esther, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you will escape. And who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. 
right? And that the lesson of Esther is that God has put us in a situation and hoisted the weight of the world on our shoulders so that we can save it. That's really what we're saying when we say that, is it not? I got to be less excited. Is that not what we're saying? If I turn to my children and I say, God has put you for such a time as this, and if you don't follow through, the world will fall apart. What a horrendous thing to say. To say to the believer that the fate of the world is not on the cross and the shoulders of Jesus Christ. That the fate of the world does not rest in the hands of an eternal, all-powerful God who remains seated on the throne. The truth of the gospel that we see in Esther chapter 6 is that God is not surprised by the things that hang in the balance. That God is not wondering about whether or not the king will sleep. That God is not confused about how events are going to unfold and whether they will balance or not. That God has everything within his fingertips. And he says to us, yes, I have put you in this situation for just a time as this. But I don't need you. I can do it another way. And so the great hope and the truth of the book of Esther, especially for you high school students, is that God has given you gifts and abilities for such a time as this. But your future does not depend on whether you succeed Depend what it's on whether God succeeds in and through you. And he will. Because that is what he has promised to each and every one of us. Because in many ways, there are all, numbers of stories all throughout the Bible where the center of the story hinges on the activity of God. The Tower of Babel, it's when God comes down. The Book of Lamentations hinges on those verses right smack dab in the middle. Because of the Lord's great love for us, we are not consumed. His mercies are new every morning. The hinge of our lives is really not all that precarious at all. It is the sturdy, firm foundation of Almighty God. And Esther roots us right smack dab in that question of leaning into the God who holds all things, or is it all just a coincidence? And Esther over and over and over says, it's God. Let's pray. Gracious God, you have put us in this place at this time for such a time as this. But that does not mean that we have the weight of the world on our shoulders. Yes, you use us. Yes, you have given us gifts and talents, and you call us to be faithful. It is you, O oh God, who hold the details and work them out and orchestrate them in such a way that you are praised, 
that your people are delivered and that we are built up. For God, all of human history turns on the person of Jesus. And his spirit lives in us. God, some of us here this morning are wrestling with our future. We're wrestling with our present and wondering exactly where we are on our journey. We've come from a place that has been, uh, seemed to be secure, but is pretty precarious and up in the air. May we rest even in the sleepless nights that you're at work. God, others of us have uh, a lifetime of stories of seeing how you have shown up in the sleepless nights and in the smallest of details. May we be unafraid to share those truths with others. And so testify to your new mercies each morning. God, wherever you find us and wherever we are found by you on this day, may you remind us that you hold us in your hands. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.